This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening on. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelist tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, from Steelers Nation South, Robert Rollo Cawthon, and from Ball State Athletics, Paul Havocott. We're joined tonight by a former professional football player out of Old Miss, where he was MVP of the Senior Bowl, and he broke some of Archie Manning's passing records. He's got a vast playing career in the CFL, USFL, AFL, AF2, SIFL, and NFL with the New Orleans Saints, most notably. He's been a coach, a general manager, and an executive for various teams. we got quarterback John Forcade here. John, thank you for coming on. Hey, guys. Appreciate y'all having me on. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that something to do with records, you know. Records are made to be broken. But I'll say this. Eli Manning, the son of Archie, left me one record. I still hold the most interceptions in a season, so I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> you got that one going for you. All right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, tonight's debate is going to be the greatest quarterback of the 80s after Joe Montana. As always, we'll have our Q&A for John about his career afterwards. We're going to jump into this, and we are going to start tonight with, uh, let's go Dan Fouts. All right, Dan Fouts, San Diego Chargers from 73 to 87. Uh, Fouts struggled in his early years with poor coaching and injuries and contract disputes, but things changed immensely upon the arrival of head coach Don Coryell. Uh, Don Coryell had an offensive scheme that was perfect for Fouts' skill set, and together, they really hit the ground running. Uh, starting in 79, Fouts started a streak of five consecutive seasons of being named a pro bowler and four consecutive seasons of leading the NFL in passing yards, average passing yards per game, and net yards uh, average. Uh, he broke Joe, uh, Joe Namath's single-season passing yards record in 79, then broke that record again in 1980, and then broke that record again in 1981. Uh, he also led the NFL in passing TDs in both 1981-1982. Uh, during the 80s decade, only one man had more passing yards than Dan Fouts, uh, and that was Joe Montana. Uh, but Fouts had more yards per game than anyone in the 80s at 280.2. He also threw for the third most TDs of the decade, and he had the seventh best passer rating. Uh, but Fouts was more than just a great passer. He was the undisputed leader of the Chargers. He wore a hat with the initials MFIC. Uh, the local media, they said it stood for Mr. Fouts in charge. But Kellen Winslow had a different interpretation for the MF part. I'll let you guys figure that part out on your own. Uh, but Fouts is perhaps best remembered for his 433-yard, three-touchdown effort against the Dolphins in the divisional round of the playoffs in 1981. He led the game-tying TD drive in the fourth quarter to set up OT, and then Fouts led his team 74 yards to set up the winning field goal in what became known as the Epic in Miami. Undisputed leader, passing machine, and when the 1980s were over, who was named to back up Joe Montana on the All-Decade team? It was Dan Fouts. Fouts, when I look at the, the list of names, he's, he's kind of like maybe the most unknown to people that don't know football. Do you think that's maybe because he was West Coast, something along those lines? Well, it, it hurts to be on the West Coast because you know, a lot of the Southerners and the East Coast don't get a chance to really see a lot of their games. But I, I'll say this about him. He had a tight end, and that tight end <laughs> made him. And there's no doubt, you know, Winslow was one of the best, if not the best. Uh, but overall, you know, he couldn't move a lick. That was the funny thing about it. He was just strictly a drop-back passer. He's not moving out of the pocket. But that's not what 
they wanted for him in, in San Diego. They, they, they wanted him to throw the football. He was just one of them guys that stood back there tall in the pocket through the football. And, guys, I'm going to say this, and we all know this. Look at the quarterbacks over the years that won Super Bowl. They're pocket passes. I mean, they move around. So they're pocket passes that can throw. This man can throw a football. Unfortunately, he didn't have the team around him. He had a couple players here and there. But, look, he's, he's I see your list of players and, court, and, and, and quarterbacks you have there. But – Dan Fouts had a great career, you know, definitely a Hall of Famer, but uh, they got some other guys on your list I think might be just a little bit better. Right. First ballot, so good kudos for him. That doesn't happen very often. But let's move on to uh, Warren Moon. Well, I went with Warren out of L.A., California, and the reason why I like Warren on this uh, topic is he had, I guess, two careers, really, CFL and NFL. He's in the Hall of Fame for both. So despite having collegiate success – Something led him to believe he was going to be a late-round NFL pick and uh, would yield some limited opportunity. So six weeks before the draft, he ends up signing on with the Edmonton Eskimos where he and Tom Wilkerson or Wilkinson uh, shared single-calling duties and helped the Eskimos to five straight consecutive Grey Cup victories from 78 to 81. In 82, when they were uh, starting – or I guess in 83, when they were starting to kind of wane with their success – he still threw for over 5,648 yards and won the CFL's Most Outstanding Player of the Year award. Uh, he won the Great Cup MVP in 80 and 82 for those championships. First professional quarterback to pass for over 5,000 yards. Well, actually, at 5,000 yards, he finished exactly at 5,082. So in his uh, six years in the CFL, he amassed over 1,300 completions. He had a 57.4 completion percentage. 21,228 yards and 144 touchdown passes. He led his team to nine out of 10 postseason game victories. And like I said before, he's inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. So that's kind of where it starts. So he goes to the NFL, and that's kind of where a lot of people know him from. He goes to the Houston Oilers. And uh, he starts in 84, got out of Gates running over 3,300 yards in his first season, kind of a coaching change changes his uh, success, and he starts feeling more of that in 87. And the uh, Oilers go 9-6 and six and won their first playoff game against the Seahawks in overtime. So when Warren starts maybe sealing his place in the NFL, it would be right before the 89 season, signs a $10, 10 million a year contract, making him at that time the highest NFL player. And in 1990, he led the league with 4,689 passing yards. He led the league in attempts at 584, completions 362, Touchdowns 33, tied Marino's record with nine 300-yard games in a season, and that included throwing for 527 <laughs> yards against the Chiefs on December 16th of 90. So it's, it's the second most passing yards ever in a single game, if you're wondering. So the following year, again, he led the league in passing yards with 4,690. At the same time, he joined Marino and the aforementioned Fouts as only quarterbacks to post back-to-back 4,000-yard -back seasons. And um, he actually established two more records, uh, 655 attempts and 404 completions that season as well. So from the Oilers, he ended up going to the Vikings, Seahawks. Really in his legacy, he was a nine-time Pro Bowler. Um, and if you combine these stats, the CFL and NFL stats, he has over 5,000 completions, 9,205 attempts for 70,000 total yards, 70,553 total yards, 435 touchdowns. So even if you discount the Canadian Football League stats, his numbers in the NFL are super, super respectable. 
he didn't get any Super Bowls, but neither really did Marino at that time. He won a Super Bowl for the broadcasting uh, when he was part of the Seahawks organization. But just to cap it off, if you're wondering what his NFL stats were, uh, 291 uh, touchdown passes, 233 interceptions, over 49,000 passing yards, 58.4 completion percentage, and a passing passer rating of 80. Point nine, and he had 22 rushing touchdowns. I think Warren Moon's like a double legacy here. He's my vote for the best one tonight. I think I'm the only person tonight here who actually kept their stats just to the 80s, but we'll, we'll see what happens. John, let, let, let me come to you here. So Warren Moon, when he started, it was a lot harder for African-American quarterbacks to get a shot. I mean, Doug Williams was in there, of course, but – I mean, did that maybe affect his coming to the NFL right away? Well, you know, I got to play against him twice up in the uh, CFL. Uh, my first two years in Canadian League, Warren was up in Edmonton and uh, got him. He was like the guy up there. Everybody knew of him. He lit it up. I was a little surprised that he signed prior to the draft. Sometimes these guys will wait and see what happens after the draft, where you go at. Maybe you're disappointed at because the money is definitely not – the, the best to go up there, but they gave him some good money. Uh, he lit it up. The thing about Warren Moon was he could throw a football. Uh, trust me, guys. You know, we all talked about uh, Randall Cunningham had a strong arm. One guy I knew for sure had a great arm. Remember Dan Pastorini? He stood from goal line to goal line and threw a 100-yard pass. Uh, this guy right here had no problem throwing a 100-yard pass down the field. He could easily do that. Warren Moon brought a lot of things. His athletic ability, he would move around the pocket. He can get some things done with his feet, but he had the cannon. He didn't have the best team in Houston. But, you know, remember the big game when they played the Buffalo Bills? That was a big game when they went up there in Buffalo in that playoff game. But overall, if you look at Warren Moon, the stats really, you know, he put the numbers on the board. Uh, I, I can't go wrong with having Warren Moon on my, my football club as, as my quarterback. But I'm starting a team and looking at what he has done over the years from the CFL. Then he transformed into an NFL quarterback. Yes, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about it. He brought so much to the game. A big guy, strong guy. Uh People just didn't realize who Warren Moon was because, once again, he's a West Coast guy. A lot of guys on the East Coast from, you know, middle of the United States to the East didn't know much of him, even when he played in the Canadian Football League. They only knew left the left side of the country. That's the West Coast, knew all about him. And the best thing ever happened to him, he played in Houston, so they got to know him. He split time uh, between the CFL and the NFL, but look. He is a Hall of Famer. Uh, I'm not going to put him in the numbers. You got some great guys on that board right there. But I will put him a notch above, you know, the the young man, the guy, Dan Faust, I guess the young man, Mr. Faust, as you would say. Warren Moon on my list. I mean, I love, I'm looking at the two other guys on that list. Nothing against you, Paul. I know you see you like uh, Warren Moon, and, and I'm all for that. But by the way, I want to let you know something. The name on there says Tanya Marino. That's my girlfriend. I didn't have a sex change operation in the last time I was on here. I am John Forkey, not Tanya Marino. Okay, Tanya. I mean, okay, I mean, Mr. Mr. Forkey. <laughs> let the guests have a sex change. That's up if you want. But I just want to let people know out there, I'm John Forkey, not Tanya Marino. And uh, I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on the run and shoot offense because, I mean, Warren Moon was one of the earlier quarterbacks to get to play in that offense. I mean, does that – that's I'm glad you brought numbers. this up because when, when Paul brought his stats up, if you notice back in the 80s, if you were a high 50-something percent passer, people raved about that. Or lows in the 60s. Nowadays in the NFL, these guys are, you know, 
high 60s and low 70s uh, because you're throwing the ball more and you're throwing what? Shorter passes, quicker passes. We didn't have that back in, in the day. They didn't have the run and shoot. They didn't have the West Coast. We had a little bit of the West Coast, uh, you know, with, with Marino. And you watch, just go back and look in the 80s uh, at the stats and, and the, the percentage of passing completion. That's so different than when, when I played and, and when the guys are playing now. But the run and shoot opened it up for him and a guy named Jim Kelly. Uh, those things happen for that reason because it's you throw the ball quicker, get it out of your hands. You don't have to worry about sacks. It's predetermined almost who you're going to. You don't read the field. Uh, that changed a little bit as time goes with the run and shoot. They don't call it the run and shoot here anymore. But back in that day, I remember the USFL days, run and shoot was a big thing with, with Jim Kelly. But Warren Moon ran that because he had the receivers in Houston, the short, quick guys. He had a couple of tall ones, but he had the quick guys. The run and shoot won't last in the NFL. It, it doesn't do it now. But back in that day, when they first developed it, it put a scare in people on the defensive side of the ball. And people understood that that's the way to go back then. You can't do it now. But, yeah. That 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 credit a lot with Warren Moon and, and Jim Kelly's style of play. Well, let's move on to Dan Marino. I'm representing him tonight. So first round pick from University of Pittsburgh, went to the Miami Dolphins, played his whole career there from 83 to 99. Um, so he's got all the stats that are comparable to everybody. The five Pro Bowls in the 80s, three All-Pros in the 80s, and the awards that are, are probably better than you know, the players that we're talking tonight that occurred actually during the 1980s. His 220 touchdown passes in the 80s is better than all three of the, uh, four of the guys tonight. So that is number one there. Um, and he does have an MVP. So he's got that, and that happened in the 80s as well. So tonight, though, I just want to focus on 1984, um, which, in my opinion, is the greatest season ever for a quarterback. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, but – he led the league in, and he set NFL records in completions, attempts, um, yards. He threw for 5,000. Uh, he broke the record. He had the record on that. Touchdowns that year, he threw 48 touchdown passes as an NFL record. Touchdown percentage at 8.5, NFL record. His QB rating was 109.8. And um, he also led in six other quarterback categories during that time period. So that – that's just great. And that touchdown record, that actually stood for 24 years until Peyton Manning broke it. And I kind of want to look at that, too, because we look at today's NFL, there's a lot more throwing. Um, it's a lot easier to hit receivers. The defenses don't get to do a lot of things that they got to do back in the day. Every quarterback in the 80s and, and almost everything we're talking about tonight, and if we're just keeping it stuck to the 80s, I, I do believe that he's just a tad bit above these other guys um, he did get to that one Super Bowl. Unfortunately, you know, he lost to Joe Montana, which is part of the reason why we don't have Joe Montana in our debate tonight, because then this would be a much easier show. But, John, your, your thoughts on Dan Marino? I mean, he kind of took the league by storm there once he did get put in. Um, had a pretty long, productive career. Well, there's no doubt about it. And the thing about with Dan Marino is he didn't have a great Miami team. He had a good team, but he had those receivers, Mark Clayton and Mark Duper, and, and that made a big difference in his game. But you got to remember, too, back when Dan Marino was playing, same time I was playing, we still ran the football. The NFL still ran the football, and they didn't, you know, he did a lot throwing the football. Remember, it was more of a running game and not quite as big as the passing department when you say with, you know, you brought Peyton's name up and, you know, you could also throw Drew Brees and a few other guys, you know, the, the Brett Favre's of the world. 
But when Marino was playing, he didn't throw as much, but he threw a lot that made it a difference. You know, he was throwing 50, 60, 70 yard bombs. So his yardage was up there. I mean, the guy stood tall in the pocket. Another guy like Dan Faust couldn't move around. I mean, if you know how bad his knees were, he didn't do a lot of running around since his injury. I remember that that, that bad knee he had. Uh, Dan Marino is is up there. There's no doubt. The yardage just speak for itself. The touchdowns speak for itself. He set records back in the day. And the day that it wasn't a passing league like it is now because it's different. But they protected quarterbacks much more now than they did back in the day. So you didn't throw the ball as much because of the fact of getting hit. Back in the day, quarterbacks got hit much more than they do now. So teams are saying, well, let's take a little bit of pressure off of it. Uh, the different style of players in, in the secondary coverages were different. Um, you see nowadays, it's you know, it's you can't touch them. You go down the field, they're throwing the ball a lot more. But back when Dan Marino I love watching him sit in the pocket, and he would zip the ball. And he didn't have the biggest receivers. Let me tell you, Mark Clayton and Mark Duper, they no bigger than, than you know than uh, what's your boy with uh, the movie um, with the guy at the finger right here, the little the little Michigan and you know the little oh. bitty guy, you know Baldy, Mini Me, Mini Me. That receivers <laughs> wasn't big, and he got it to those receivers. But the thing he did was when he threw the ball, he threw the ball to spots and players caught it and ran with it, and did things. Man, Marino, Dan Marino is a legend. There's no doubt about it. Uh, just ask him, he'll tell you. But you know, he's great. Let me tell you something right now. You know, Mike, I know you got him on your list here and he's up there. Um, it's hard for me to sit there and say he's not one of the top all-time leaders of everything. Uh, I love Dan Marino. There's no doubt about it. I enjoy watching him play. Uh, you got some great guys on this, on this list here. I'm looking at him, and uh, uh, I'm not going to sit there until the end and tell you my listing, but uh, he's up there. He's, he's one of the best. Well, let's move on to our final player tonight, and that's going to be John Elway. So the winner of this debate is John Elway Jr. <laughs> Drafted in the 83 draft, which is one of the greatest drafts ever. There were six Hall of Famers in the first round, and three Hall of first ballot Hall of Famers at quarterback were drafted in that draft. He was the number one overall pick of that draft. Coming out of Stanford, he was considered a can't-miss prospect. He is Mills Kuypers Jr.'s <clears throat> top-rated quarterback he's ever scouted. <clears throat> but he was drafted by the Baltimore Colts. And he, he did not want to play for him. His father did not want him to play for the Colts. So the Colts had to draft him because he threatened to play for the Yankees, who drafted him two years earlier in the MLB draft. So he refused to play for the Colts. <clears throat> and so the Colts had to find a taker. And the Broncos were that taker. And they got, gave him up for Chris Hinton, a first-round pick, and a backup quarterback. <clears throat> uh, he started 10 games that first season with the Broncos. He went 4-6. and six. It was an up-and-down year. Uh, he threw uh, seven touchdowns and 14 interceptions, but he became a full-time starter in 1984. Uh, <clears throat> he, uh, they went the Broncos went 12 and two and lost in the divisional playoffs. And then in 85, they missed the playoffs. But in 86 is when Elway became, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback of the 80s. He led the Broncos to back-to-back -back Super Bowls, <clears throat> uh, of which they didn't have a thousand-yard receiver or a thousand-yard rusher. Um, he took them to three Super Bowl appearances in the in the 90s. They lost all three, unfortunately, but he has more combined Super Bowl appearances than everybody else on this list in the 80s. <clears throat> he eventually won two in his swan song and his final his final seasons of, of as a quarterback, going out on top. 
But something that is un, is, it was underrated about John Elway was that he had seven consecutive seasons of 3,000 passing yards and 200 rushing yards. He's the only quarterback in NFL history to do that. And five of those seasons came in the 80s. Um, <clears throat> he also he also added a he also had a left added 11 rushing touchdowns and had a 4.7 yards per carry average as quarterback. <clears throat> he had a rocket forward arm. He was an unquestioned leader. He was great at the, the fourth quarter comebacks. We all know about the drive, a uh, 15 play, 98 yard drive in the to to uh, in the uh, AFC Championship game in '86 or 80, 87, but it, the season was '86 um, to get them to the Super Bowl. It's one of the. It's probably the most recognizable uh, sports moment for being clutch in NFL history. Um, he eventually retired in, in, in 98, like I said, with two Super Bowls. He won an NFL MVP in 87. And he doesn't have gaudy numbers, but he was a winner. The Broncos went to five playoff appearances in the 80s. Uh, the, 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 uh, the Chargers only went to three. Uh, the Warriors only went to three. And Marino only went to three in the 80s. And John went to five with three Super Bowl appearances. So go ahead and lock that up. John Elway. <laughs> John, I mean, what, what can you say about John Elway? Of course, I mean, he is an all-time great, but we are specifically talking 80s. I mean, he was running before running was the end thing for quarterbacks. So what are your thoughts on John Elway? Well, when you say running, what Elway did back in the 80s, was he, he more or less, he, he, he scrambled to make things happen. And if he had to run, he could run the football. There's no doubt his feet makes the difference of those quarterbacks that you have on a list and compare it. But Robert, you said he was the best in the 80s. You ever met a guy named Joe Montana? Uh, Montana might have been the best in the 80s. And I agree, John Elway is one of the all-time best, you know, matter if it's the 80s or whatever. Uh, I, I played against him. I know what he brings to the table. And, yes, his feet did a lot of things for him. But his arm was as strong as anybody with a quarterback arm in the NFL back in the day. Uh, he put numbers up that, that, that stand till today in my books. He did a lot. Now, look, it's hard playing in my high stadium when I went there to play against him a couple of times. Uh, this altitude, and, and that makes a big difference for players of his nature compared to what I guys would you you sucking sucking air up there in altitude. But he did so much for that, that organization. And it was so funny because he's pigeon toe. And if you're watching the guy play quarterback, he was he was you know pigeon toe running around there like he can't he's quicker than what people gave him credit for back in the day. Watching him move around, he could do a lot with his feet. But the thing about it, there's not a lot of big name players. He had some good name players on the team, but not a lot of big name players that stood out. Elway stood out for Denver. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I mean, what more can you say? He took him to the Super Bowl three times. Um, he, he won two. Um, he, he, he's a guy that um, did some things that no other quarterback could done could have done back in the day. Uh, the drive, you know, you can bet the drive wouldn't be there if the guy don't fumble for Cleveland. We all know that. Uh, it's over with. But, but let me just say that that's just other – I've watched him in other games do some things, you know, last-minute, fourth-quarter comebacks. He, he's done it so many times in his, in his career. Uh, I used to enjoy watching kind of – I kind of mended myself a little bit like, God, I could do what he does, you know, not quite like him, but I can move around and do some stuff that he was doing. Um, he, he was protected when he ran. And like Robert said, he 200 yards back in that day for a quarterback, you know, a season, 200 yards. You don't expect your quarterback to, to rush that many times to get that many touchdowns. But 
the plate that stands out, you remember the Super Bowl with the little helicopter, uh, people still look at that and say, he's tough as nails. Uh, my hat goes off to him because you know, he took a beating on, on that play. But, but he's such a good football player. Um, you know, Elway's, he's up there in, in that list and, and one of the best of all time. We're going to have a very tough vote tonight here. But before we do that, our shout-outs, the guys that just missed the list tonight, that's going to be Dave Craig, Danny White, Randall Cunningham, Boomer Sison, and Phil Sims. All very, very respectable quarterbacks in the 80s. They all uh, led their teams pretty well there. I know uh, Sims got a ring. So it's, it's, a, it's a good, solid list. But uh, they all just fell a little short tonight. So let's move into our vote. Uh, Paul, can't pick your own. I'll kick it off with Marino. Okay. Brian? Yeah, this is this is really tough. I mean, I, I like what Paul said about Moon having the two careers, CFL and NFL. Um, Elway, I mean, it was like he would stink for three quarters and then just fourth quarter become magical, you know. But I, but I think Danny Marino in the 80s was just – I think he was the most feared guy. I mean, that, that quick release he had and just the – the video game type numbers he was putting up. I got to go Danny Marino. Rollo. I'm a Pittsburgh boy. So, you know, I got to go with my boy Marino. <laughs> Fair enough. So, I, gosh, I was looking at the list today, and if I was going to, like, base this off an entire career, I would probably pick Elway. Um, and if I was going to – I'm going with Dan Fouts, and, and I, I was torn between him and, and Moon. And the reason why I didn't go with Moon is I actually felt that some of his best seasons were in the 90s, whereas Fouts' best seasons were in the 80s. And even with Elway, um, I thought his seasons in the mid-90s were some of his best, uh, especially when he got Shanahan that, that first year or two there. So I am going with Fouts. So, John, we come to you. Well, you know, the thing that I look, you know, Faust ha had his numbers, did his thing. Uh, I just, there was like, there was no nothing there that made me stand out other than the numbers on the field. But he didn't do as much with these other three quarterbacks did with their legs and, and, and the charisma that they presented themselves. Warren Moon, if no telling what could have happened if he'd have played all them six, seven years in the NFL that he played in, in the CFL. I mean, he could have probably put numbers up that nobody could ever reach. And then you got to deal with the two guys, you know, Dan Marino, John Elway. I think the difference between them two guys is was Elway's ability to run a football. But give me Dan Marino as the number one guy on that list. I got to go with Marino just because of the fact he did so much in the 80s. Uh, the numbers stood out. And uh, I got to go with Dan Marino as, as the top quarterback. Okay. So win for Dan Marino tonight. Let's move into our Q&A for John. The order is going to be me, Brian, Paul, Rollo. All right. So I, I, I want to ask you this, and, and it's, it's not so much about your career, but you did coach and you did play there. So in your opinion, where do you think the Arena League failed? Because to me, it's a, it a fast-paced, exciting game. Um, I just I, – I thought it should have took off more. And, and we saw, like, they just kept losing franchises, you know, throughout the years and things like that. So uh, what, what – what, what do you think well, happened? I was involved in it. I'll tell you this much. Um, I won the first championship in Denver Dynamite down in Denver before I went to the Saints. We won the, the Arena Football Championship. They had a good uh, format, what they wanted to do. 
And then it got to the point where they got greedy. Uh, they started throwing out more money than what it's supposed to be. It was set up for $400 a game. Uh, but what happens when you unionize things? They, players got together, got a, you know, got a big union guy rep. And then what Billy really happened was Arena League 2 came on board, did it the right way. They were paying the guys a couple hundred, whatever they were paying them. And then the Arena League 1 was taking the money from Arena League 2. And that kind of made it a, a, an issue where um, where's the money going? And they got some greedy people. And they got really greedy in that organization. It was poorly operationally run uh, out of the front office there. Um, then I'm not going to mention a guy's name, Baker. Uh, he, he comes in and becomes the uh, commissioner. And, you know, he got a $2 million office in Atlanta. Uh, they were running through all the money. And the league had to fold up because they just couldn't afford paying these players outright. They were paying some quarterbacks $150,000 to play in Arena Football League when they were getting them $400, $800 and everybody was playing. Look, I coached against Kurt Warner, all right? He did what he did. And that man went in there and played arena league football, and I watched him. He was pick, picking up nickels and dimes, and it worked. It, it was a recruiting tool, but they had some greedy people, and they wanted more and more and more. Thought they, they had a great thing going. I played in front of, and I seen coaches in front of, you know, 15, 18,000 people. Granted, it's it's an indoor arena, but they were putting them in the stands. Um, they just got, had some greedy people, didn't know how to operationally run it, and the money was ridiculous. They were throwing money around that should have never been thrown around. So, John, let, let's go back to the 1987 game against the Rams. John Forkey <laughs> plays a pass, which is picked off by Greg Williamson. He advances 28 yards, then fumbles. The ball is picked up by Sean Miller. He goes another 10 yards or so, fumbles, and the ball is recovered by none other than John Forcade, who sprints 60-plus yards for the most improbable touchdown in Saints history. So what was going on through your mind as that play developed? I mean, that was that was insane. Well, you shot me 20 yards there. It was 80, 80, almost 85 yards on the return. But, okay. yeah, so the funny part of it, it was a Hail Mary pass that you throw before the half. I can't say I really threw the ball good. It was a horrible throw. And, um, you know, it was not going to get in the end zone. Would you just throw it up and hope for the best? The guy picked it off. And all I'm thinking about was, oh, my God, please, just, let's tackle the guy. Let's get in the half. Let's get in. He took it back. And when he fumbled it, another guy picked it up. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm the last guy between him and me to the end zone. And when he cut across the field, my receiver who was downfield came down and stripped him of the football. And when it bounced in my hand – I was, you know, running down the sideline, and I'm seeing a linebacker or one of the players from the Rams come off the bench thinking half was over with. Well, the play was still going on. And, you know, I just kept running and running. And I'll say this much. I got about the 10-yard line, and I was sucking wind. It was brutal. It was, you know, because you just got back from a strike season. You go out and play. You're not really in the greatest shape in the world. But I'll say this. It made – NFL's greatest 100 touchdowns, which I cannot take it from me. I mean, it's, it's on there. It's the NFL greatest one. But it also made the bloopers. So I made two different videos. One was a touchdown. One was the bloopers. Uh, you know, that that helped me get started in the league. It was a strike season. Uh, we won that game, and, and we ended up – we had a real good team. I'm going to say this. We won our first ever 30 years of football in New Orleans organization, and we went to the playoffs our first time with a winning season. Uh, I was part of that. 
Um, that play was, you know, it, 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 it goes there. People send it to me. People, you know, look at this and you see it a lot of time. It's hilarious to look at it, but Hey, it's, it was fun to be involved in it. And, you know, yeah. down the road, a hundred years from now, when somebody, I don't know what they're going to have it on. It won't be on, you know, VC, v, VSH or VS, whatever it's called, you know, CDs and stuff. It'll be somewhere out there. Somebody will be able to pull it up. You know, uh, you know, the George Jetson days are on a, on a spaceship looking at it, but I'm going to still be in that video. They can't take it away from me. That's right. That's right. Rollo. John, your first NFL start, you went for three touchdowns. Of those three touchdowns, what was the most memorable? Was it your first one or would you, and you also threw a bomb with 80, 80 plus yards. Well, Which of know, those were most memorable to you? I'll, I'll tell you what's funny because I held the uh, longest touchdown pass in Saints history for about 12 years. Uh, well, I get, it's, it gets broken by a guy named Heath Schuler, member from Tennessee, Washington Redskins. So we end up at, so he breaks my record. And, and, and I, when I tell these kids and I talk to a lot of kids and, and I explain to them when, I, when I'm doing my coaching clinics and, and stuff of that nature, I tell guys, get the football to these players. Just they're wide receivers for a reason. You know, people say, well, how long you do the eight yard touchdown pass? But I only threw it five yards. And he took it to rest. And, but, but my record's 88 yards. And you threw it that for us? And no, I threw it five yards. And the guy ran it. So I was excited about that. But, you know, one of my biggest games, when you talk about touchdown passes, uh, and I see the, the picture there behind you in the snow in Buffalo. Uh, that 89 season, when I got to, to, to take over, we go to Buffalo. It's, it's about eight degrees, wind chills down to zero. That's snow, you know, up to our feet, you know, ankles. And we never played in that before. We played in the dome. Uh, we took care of the Buffalo Bills, uh, Morton Anderson, the All-American Hall of Famer, and everybody you know is Morton Anderson. And so he kicks the winning field goal, and we end up winning 22-19 and knocked the Buffalo Bills out of winning their division. And then so I was, like, thrilled with that. Well, the following week, we take on the Philadelphia Eagles at home Christmas. Uh, I mean, not Christmas, but a Monday night football game, Randall Cunningham, you mentioned it earlier. And we took care of them, and we beat them pretty soundly. And I had you know three touchdowns in that game, and then we ended up um, knocking them out of the division title as well. Well, here comes Christmas Eve. It's snowing in New Orleans. Hadn't snowed in about thirty years. Uh, the Colts come in, and we we end up playing the Colts, and we beat them forty-one to three, and knocked them totally out of the playoffs. And so I'm like, all right, this is great, man. I mean. It, this is going to solidify me as, as a quarterback for New Orleans Saints, the way we played those last – the last three games we averaged 35 points a game. Uh, I would have started a week prior to the Buffalo game, and in the middle of the warm-ups, I get a back spasm. I cannot do anything. And we, we lose to Buffalo, and then I come in the fourth quarter because my back kind of came around. But, look, it's nothing like playing quarterback in the NFL. Throwing touchdowns is great. But I was one of the guys that I ran the ball a little bit. It, you know, it, it, it helped me to help the team and stuff. But, you know, you talk about throwing touchdown pads. Nowadays, compared to when I played, and I tell people in college football, if I was playing in the rules they play now in college football and some of the rules in the NFL, I, I probably would have done way better, especially college football with the run, shoot, whatever y'all want to call it, that, that run and shoot type stuff and r the read, run option stuff. I would have lit it up. But in the NFL nowadays, it's so different. Throwing touchdowns is nothing. I mean, you look at, look at 
Drew Brees has done over the years, throwing touchdown passes and, and, and Peyton Manning. Uh, that's what they look at. Now, everybody, you know, you're throwing 40 touchdowns. You're throwing 45. You're throwing 50 touchdowns. That wasn't heard of back when I played. You tell me I threw touch three in the game. I'm thrilled as hell. I'm like, yeah, I'm celebrating. I threw three. Hell, if I threw 12 in a year, I was going nuts. I mean, touchdown. Now they, that's 12 in three games for these guys. Right, right. Well, um, you mentioned your college days. Um, I'm sure the great Archie Manning was still probably fresh in Ole Miss's fans' minds whenever you began playing in Oxford. So how did it feel to top most of his passing records, knowing just how renowned Archie Manning was? Well, you know, when I went to Ole Miss, I, I knew a little bit about Archie, and I, I didn't know anything about records and stuff and yard. But you remember this, you know, 100 yards is nothing in college. Back back when I played, that's my total. That's my total. They got guys on six, seven hundred yards in what I mean, six in two in, in two years. So it's a big difference. And Archie was the guy there, and and I had to hear from oh, you broken Archie's record. They wasn't happy. People in Mississippi didn't like the fact I'm breaking Archie's records. But I keep the records are made to be broken. I'm going to eventually do it, and somebody's going to come along. But when you start four years in in, in college you're going to get the chance to break people's records. And like I said, Eli came along and, and broke mine and other guys have broken it. But but you talk about my college days, my last college football game ever to be played. Um, you know, we will play Mississippi State, uh, 34 seconds left. They kick a field goal on third down, take the lead. And I'm looking at everybody in the side like, what, did they just kick on third down? They gave us a chance now. You know, they, they, they wait the fourth down. They were on the clock out and kicked the field goal. But he kicked on third. They go up 17-14. I threw three passes to get down to the one-yard line. One second left of my career. I ran around the end, scored a touchdown. So I ended my college career. We wasn't great. We, we could score points, but boy, we can give up a lot of points, too, on the defensive side of the football. But that's how I ended my college career, scoring on the last play of the game. Not too many people can do that. You know, finish their college career, say, I'm done college football. I scored the winning touchdown to win the game. And, but uh, I had a good career there. I enjoyed it. Uh, college life is told different. If you ever been to the Grove, guys, you ever get a chance to get to Oxford, Mississippi? Hey, John, you, you met your on-field success led you to meet. President Reagan has a pretty funny story. <laughs> I don't know if I even want to go on. I, I'd almost rather just have you tell the story of your, if you can I, remember any of it. If you, I, I don't know if you Yeah, well, uh, it was a rough night before I met, I got the chance to meet him. Uh, we went out downtown in New Orleans. We, we, were, we were celebrating. I don't know, uh, you know, what was going down and, and I'm having a good time. You know, I'm, I'm go back to my house and, uh, Guys beating on my door the next morning, like, you got to get up. You got to get up for what? You go, you got to meet. We got um, the kids and President Reagan's coming in town and this and that. I'm like, do I really have to go? Yes. <laughs> You're the Saints quarterback and you got to come and do this. So, guys, I had a couple of uh, drinks in my system from the night before and I showed up <laughs> and I get into this room and I'm waiting and we're all in there. They got Social Security. I mean, so, Secret Service guys all in there and they, they check in me. They pat me down. They're doing all this stuff. So, Mr. Reagan comes in and um, he looks at me and he says, huh, you don't look like no NFL quarterback to me. I turned around and I went, hey, you don't look like no damn president to me either. I didn't use the word damn. I used something else. And boy, that lit up with the, so the Secret Service guys. Who they wasn't thrilled about that. But I kind of cussed at him because he kind of dogged me and I dogged him, you know. And then, so nothing against the man. And we go sit on the stage and – I mean, I'm I'm about to keel over on the stage. I was struggling sitting in that chair. But I'm Secret Service guy, two behind me. They, they didn't know if I was going to leech for him or, or jump at him or something. But 
I, I was thrilled to meet the president, but I just wish it had been in different circumstances. I didn't know that I had to do that because I wouldn't have gone out the night before. And, and, and you know, we're in New Orleans, just 24-7 in New Orleans. <laughs> well, in all fairness to you, he was an actor, so you were kind of right. I mean, right, yeah, he didn't, he didn't look like a president to me, I didn't know. Yeah, but it was, it was funny. It was funny. Go ahead, Rollin. So you, you were recruited by Bear Bryant. You could have went to LSU. They were recruiting you. What made you pick Oxford, Mississippi, Ole Miss over those two schools, your home, your home state and Bear Bryant, Alabama? Well, I tell people they pay more. Uh, back in the day, the NIL stuff is nothing back. I could, guys, uh, I was the new car every year. Um, got a house, got an apartment. I mean, what the hell? I'm I'm out of it now. They can't get him in trouble. Um, I wasn't stupid back in the day. Uh, I was going to Alabama. I wanted to go to Alabama. They ran a wishbone. I wasn't too thrilled about, but I love Bear Bryant. You know, when he recruited me, I went to at the in the dome after they played in the Sugar Bowl, and I sat on his houndstooth hat, and I felt so <laughs> bad. He laughed at me. He goes, "Oh, don't worry about it." I'm like, "I'm sorry, Mr. Bryant." I, he goes, "Don't worry about it." That was my thrill. They were sitting on a man's hat, smashing it. I really wanted to go there, but their offensive coordinator told me I would not play until I was a junior. And I'm like, oh, that ain't very good. Well, the next day I got home and Bear Bryant called me because he was in Vegas shooting a commercial. He wasn't too thrilled to hear that I told him that Mal Moore told me I wasn't going to play until I was a junior. Well, the language came out of Coach Bryant's mouth. I would have never thought I'd ever hear it. He was not at me, but he was dog cussing his offensive coordinator back. And I was like, whoo. He said, you're not coming to Alabama? I said, ah, unless y'all change your mind, I'm not coming to Alabama. After that, LSU comes on board. LSU, man, they're they pulling up with them cars and offering me money. And I actually helped get Auburn on probation because those guys were giving out some cash at Auburn back in the day. But <laughs> – I didn't, want, I didn't like their coach. I wasn't thrilled about them. But the LSU coach comes in. And I'm being recruited. We're at my high school. And I've been recruited for a long time with these guys. And Charlie McClendon was the head coach. Barry Wilson was their offensive line coach who played there at LSU, who coached high school football in New Orleans. But he was their uh, defensive – I mean, he was offensive line coach there. And he came – and I like Coach Wilson. And that's the coach, man. Whatever you do, if, if he tells me I will not play – until I'm a junior, I'm not coming to LSU. And we're sitting in that office, and I can still see it and feel it right there. And McClendon sat across from me and said, John, we have Steve Emsminger and Dave Woolridge. Uh, you probably won't play until you're a junior. Well, Barry Wilson fell out of his chair. I'd be like, oh, my God. I, you know, He was like, you're not coming to LSU. I said, no, sir, not coming to LSU. Then Ole Miss came across because Steve Sloan just took the job after leaving Texas Tech. Well, they recruited me. And I looked at it, and I said, God, they're running the same offense we ran in high school. Every The play calling and everything. They brought a coach in about 24 years of age, and he comes and recruits me in New Orleans. He pretty much sat at a hotel for about a month. That's how long he stayed in New Orleans to recruit me. But I wasn't quite done with LSU and a few other people, so I was it's Mardi Gras seasons. I needed some things from Mardi Gras for all my buddies, and you know, so LSU was hooking me up and doing some stuff. And this guy, David Lee, the quarterback coach at Ole Miss, and he said, look, we want you this, that, and the other. And I said, let me just say this. If you tell me I won't play until I'm a junior, I'm not coming to Ole Miss. He said, well, what about if you play as a freshman? I said, can you put that in writing? Legally, they couldn't. <laughs> but I ended up starting as a freshman. And so I went to Ole Miss. I uh, had an opportunity to run the same offense I ran in high school. Uh, we didn't have 
what they did now, the run and shoot or the spread or whatever you want to call it. We ran that split back veer. Uh, it's not the wishbone, but it's what we didn't throw as much as I like to have thrown, but we did. I did a lot of running guys. I, I, I was not bad at running the football, but, but it wore on you after, after time. And I got to start four years and, um, I had a good time when I was there. Like I said, we could score points, but boy, the defense can give up points. And overall, you know, it wasn't a great career from the standpoint of winning football games, but I got a lot of accolades and did some things there. I got a degree. And so I'm happy with that. And, um, I'm thrilled. And, but, you know, I said they paid better. Yeah, I was I was treated well there. I, I mean, I could have gone to, you know, I had over 200 scholarship offers. And, and I, you know, remember the year I came out, we had uh, Art Sleister, Jim McMahon, and myself. We were the three top quarterbacks in, in high school coming out that year. And, um, look, I, you had to go somewhere. And I went to Ole Miss. And uh, the Grove, the South, uh, it's a big difference of uh, Southern SEC football is, is where it's at. I know you got a Pittsburgh, big, big Pittsburgh guy, but, Ain't nothing like the Southern football we have down there. Well, uh, John, we'll get you out of here with this tonight. I just want to ask you, we see we see a lot of leagues that have come and they failed. We look at the original USFL. USFL is back. The XFL was around. They didn't make it. They're back. Do you think at any point in time there will be a league that can actually give the NFL a run for its money? No, I don't think anybody will give the NFL a run for their money, but I do believe this. And, and you remember when NFL Europe started, that was the best thing they had going from where they could get players over there to, to let them play. So when the season began and you lose players or you needed players, you had these guys. They need to have a good – call it what it is. It's a farm league. Baseball has it. Basketball has it. I'm sure hockey has. Why don't football have it? You get yourself a league that plays in the springtime and then you give the guys a month or so off. Those guys can rest up, get their bodies back. And then if you got training camp starts, you want a few guys here, there, and there. I was always suggesting you do this. You, you, you got 32 teams. You split it up. You got the XFL, I don't know, eight, 10 teams in that league. And you have, okay, four to six NFL teams. You can pick and choose players from these amount of these ball clubs here. I got a nephew who just finished college football two years ago. The pandemic hit. He's a top star quarterback from the division with Nickel State. Um, he didn't get a chance to, to broadcast himself for the NFL because of that. Now he's trying to get around. He's up in the CFL. Uh, XFL is trying to get him to, to come play in the XFL. He's going to get a workout with them coming. Um, that that that's what these guys go. Now these 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 tire tread guys that I saw in the USFL. Oh, you got to be kidding me. They've been six, seven years, couldn't make it to the NFL, to go to USFL, take an opportunity from some of these other guys that might have a chance. The guys have been trying and trying. If you've done been in the NFL camp four or five times and you didn't make it, it's time to move on and go get a job, you know, do something else. But the XFL or the USFL, they can't have them both. You cannot have both XFL and USFL involved. Get one league, whichever one it may be, play springtime football, give these guys a decent pay, and then go from there. The USFL had a great thing going back when I was in it with the, with the Memphis Showboat, and, and then Donald Trump screwed it up with what with, with, with he's trying to take over and merge in and beat the NFL. You're not going to beat the NFL. They're going to have their league, get you a good form league, XFL, pay them decent amount, players will go there, and then you can groom these kids to get them ready. And if the NFL needs them, you go get them. If they don't need them, then they go back and play again. But that's what they got to have. You can't have two or three leagues keep forming and tr just keep it the way it is, and, and, and it'll work out better if you had a spring league, 10 games, whatever it may, and go from there. 
We want to thank quarterback John Cave for joining us tonight. John, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And best of luck to you guys. And uh, who that? You know, I, I do radio here, so I got I got to say the Saints because I do radio for the Saints and stuff like that. So I got to be careful not to not to say any other team, but you got to say the who that's. Who that? Right. We'll remind everybody, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We want to thank you for watching, and we hope that you continue to join us and get that membership number on the subscribers way up. Everyone have a great night. We'll see you next time.